Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue going through the, the books of the Bible, and tonight's message is on 1 John. <clears throat> this was written by the disciple that Jesus loved, who now is in his old age, and he's overlooking a, a network of house churches, communities, which are all typically around the, the city of Ephesus. These communities are made up of typically mostly Jewish followers, you know, and that they're, you know, turning from their old Jewish ways to following Jesus. It seems that they've recently gone through a crisis, you know, which I believe that prompted John to, to write, you know, this letter in Second and Third John as well. There's a group of people that have broken away from the churches, and these people are no longer acknowledging that just. Jesus is the Messiah of Israel or the Son of God. And they're stirring up a lot of hostility, you know, and they're trying to spread a different way to, to follow God and follow Jesus and also propagate their own things. There is a few that are staying faithful to the church. So first John is written with this, you know, Sincere damage control is what he's, I believe, trying to do. You know, John assures them <clears throat> that to continue to uh, believe in the Messiah, you know, that God is still with them, even though that there's people out there that are trying to bring heresy into the church, that he's trying to help them to hear and, and follow truth. You know, that First John is unique. In sense, it's not really a letter. Most likely, it's more of a sermon that was either preached in most of these churches or passed to most of these churches so that they could pass it amongst their believers. But it was more of a sermon than it is a letter. You know, that it's it's not relaying new information. In fact, almost all of these key ideas that we find in First John are coming right out of Jesus' teachings out of the Gospel of John. There is a, a common writing style that we see in the Gospel of John, in first and second and third John. Um, so that's why we know that it was, you know, the disciple, eventually Apostle John, that that wrote these letters <clears throat> and Gospel. So John's goal is to remind them or encourage them to stay true to what they already believe. John has a few core ideas that he wants to communicate about life, truth, love. And John is going to cycle through these, you know, core topics, giving different, you know, emphasis, different angles to, to hear the same truths. Sometimes we got to hear the same thing over and over and over again before it sinks in. You know, it's funny that, you know, I've been doing this a minute now, and, you know, there's certain truths that I'll constantly say, over and over and over again, and you know, I try to to beat some of these things into some of your your minds, and to get you to to get the concepts, and then either you'll go to church or you'll hear it somewhere else, and you're like, you know what? I had this great idea, and I'm just like, that's awesome. That's awesome that you had that great idea. You know, and, and as a you know a young believer, I used to get frustrated and be like, I told you that. And now I'm just happy that you finally got it. You know, I don't need to, to beat that dead horse anymore. That that horse will not come back to life. But sometimes, sometimes somebody else brings that horse to life. And it, it, 
gives me great joy that finally the thing that we've been discussing for months finally was able to penetrate penetrate that bedrock of of stubbornness and, and, and pride that I don't need to listen and I know that's my favorite one. I know, I know, I know. I know that I you're not listening to anything I have to say. That's what that says. Anytime that I hear I know, I know that you're not listening. So anyway, um you know that John is trying to communicate some of the same principles and he's using many different ways to help these things sink in because sometimes it, it doesn't it doesn't sink in so easily. So John is using contrast, um, these simple images of light and dark, love and hate, good and evil, you know, and and through First John, you know, we uh, it seems simplistic, but this book is deeply profound. You know, if you haven't read it recently, I really encourage you. Um, you know, I I find it ironic, you know, how God moves a lot of times through Ground Zero and then. Many week many weeks, the same message, even though it's completely different, the same core, the heart of the message, what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, gets conveyed at Redeemer on Sunday. You know, and we started this series over a year ago. Literally, there's no way to plan it. There's literally no way to plan the fact that they're going and preaching through First John now and have been for the last few weeks and they will continue for the next few weeks. And we happen to land on First John right in the middle of their sermon series. You know, God knew a long time ago that this is where we would all be. You know, and I think that that's, to me, you know, is, is profound. You know, that's the Holy Spirit. He's moving. You know, he's speaking to us. You know, and and I would encourage you to read it. If you haven't, it's literally just a few chapters. It would take you 10 or 15 minutes, and I believe that you would be blessed by it. But John is speaking of the word of life that was God in the beginning. For John references the word of God that was that is both the Father and the Son because they are one. Because they came to bring life into this world. You know, and you know, we see that in the beginning of the Gospel of John. We're seeing this again in First John. You know, that he's making this connection that Jesus and God are intertwined, that they're one, even though that we, we see them, you know, they're they're separate, but yet they're both God. You know, and that's the, the tricky part of the Trinity, you know, the that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God. They're all one, but yet they have their own specific roles. You know, and I believe that, you know, these false teachers are trying to separate that, that, you know, Jesus is not the Son of God. He's, you know, he's just a man. You know, as we see in, in other religions, you know, they don't, you know, believe that, that Jesus was truly resurrected, he, truly the Son of God, truly God in himself, you know, so that we see that in other religions that try to disqualify what we would say is our Messiah. But as they are one, you know, because they, you know, are inseparable, you know, you know, so he's talking about, so those who have heard and saw and have touched the Son of God 
we, you know, he's calling us we, you know, and you start to see this in scripture, you know, you see this in this book that we, you know, and, and John is referring to himself and to the other apostles that truly, you know, hung out with Jesus, you know, that they were eyewitnesses to what Jesus had done, you know, his, his life, his ministry, you know, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, they lived with him, they, they ate with him, you know, they, they watched him get crucified, you know, they watched him come back to life, you know, and they watched him ascend, you know, that he is saying that we, you know, eyewitnesses to this, you know, that we have a, a credible voice and you should be paying attention to what we're saying. You know, so he's, he's making this, you know, a point that these apostles, these eyewitnesses, you know, so now we have a message for you, you know, and you being the next generation, you being us here today, you know, that we are the you because we did not see Jesus walk on this earth, you know, so this, you know, these texts, this canon, what we would call it, the, the scriptures, you know, that have eyewitness testimony of, of Jesus and his, his life, you know, that it's very important that we believe it or we're trying to figure it out. You know, many of us, you know, have a hard time reading the Bible, and I did it. You know, I did too for many years, but I knew that I had to figure out who Jesus was for me. I could not go on what other people are telling me. I could not go on my childhood because that was a mess. You know, I could not go on the stories of, you know, Noah's Ark and, and Moses and splitting the Red Sea and the burning bush and, and all the things that I remember from, you know, Sunday school growing up as a little kid because all of that to me and Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and all that were all these stories I heard as a little kid. And because none of that came true, it made it real hard for me as a little kid to have any conception that God was real. I just threw it into the same category that all those other stories were fake as well. You know, so when I, you know, really started coming around and, and really trying to wrestle with like this Christian stuff, because I did not want to be a Christian. There was no part of me that really wanted to, 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 to take on the namesake of Christianity. But I knew that I was so broken and I've tried so many other places. You know, and I was coming because I, I truly was so desperate that I was willing to try it. You know, and there was no part of me that was like, oh my God, this is what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. You know, I remember going up to my you know, first altar call and really thinking in my head, I'm like, what are you doing? Are you really going to do this? Are you really going to say that you're a Christian, that you're born again? Like, you're going to, all your friends are going to mock you and pick on you. And I remember like walking up there and I'm like, I can't do this. You know, and that day I accepted the Lord, but it had nothing to do with trying to be a Christian, had nothing to do with trying to get into heaven, had nothing to do with being afraid of hell, had everything to do with I need the pain to stop and I've tried every other thing. So I'll give this Jesus stuff a shot. And not wanting my life to be completely turned upside down by it. Not wanting to, to say that I'm born again. Not wanting, you know, the identity of a Christian. Just wanting freedom. And I've tried every, every other thing and nothing worked. You know, and I think that it's important for each one of us that we have to 
figure out who Jesus is to you. You know, that's what I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me so many years ago. You know, is who's Jesus to you, Tom? You know, and that's the message that I try to tell so many people as they're wrestling with this stuff is who's Jesus to you? Put it all aside, put it all on the shelf, throw it all in the garbage can and start over. You know, literally start in the Gospel of John and just start reading and just, you know, try to, to figure it out as you go. Ask questions. Keep showing up to church. But you don't have to make these great confessions because I, I think that so often we try to make these great confessions, but yet inside of us we feel like a hypocrite because we don't really believe that stuff. You know, and it's so hard for us to be like, yeah, I'm a believer. And yet inside I'm like, I don't believe none of this crap. But I'm so desperate and broken that I keep showing up because it's the only place that feels like there's any sort of peace in my day is when I show up at church. You know, and I hate Christians because they're annoying. You know, there are some weird people and they say some weird stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life around these people. But I wanted Jesus as much as I didn't know it. There was something in me that was missing and Jesus was the only answer to that. You know, and as I began to, to figure out this Jesus stuff in my way, you know, and, and I read and I'd wrestle and I'd fight and I'd pray and I'd read and I'd wrestle and I'd fight and I'd pray, you know, eventually I got to this point where God's speaking to me off of those pages that I can't deny that something's going on. You know, and I started praying some prayers that you know, I, I would classify as, you know, scary prayers. You know, I remember the very first time I said, you know, Jesus, take my addiction away. And I'm like, I didn't really mean that. Just take the consequences of it away. Can we make a deal? Because I wasn't done getting high. I just was done paying for my sins. You know, and if I could get away with it, but yet, somewhere in my brain, I knew that I couldn't get away with it. I knew that the source of my pain was going back to these streets. The source of my pain is putting chemicals in my body. I knew it. But yet, I've been running and gunning for so long, I didn't know what it'd be like without it. You know, and it's funny, it's because it's like we put one thing on, on, the, on the table and say, all right, Jesus, we're going to work on this. And he comes in like, oh yeah, we're going to deal with sex too. Wait, 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 No, just drugs and alcohol. We're going to leave the sex stuff alone because the Bible's really old. You know, like, we don't really think you get it anymore, God. So just drugs and alcohol. We're going to help me get sober. No, we're going to get you pure too. Oh, whoa, 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 wait up. You know, this isn't like, this isn't part of the deal. You know, and in my impurity, it led me back out. You know and then when I spent some more time, you know, getting broken, you know, God dealt with my purity issue. You know, and I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit, you know, moves even when, you know, the church or religion or Christians would even say that he shouldn't move in that way. Because I was in the midst of my addiction, I was higher a kite, and I know that God spoke to me, and I haven't had sex since, you know. And it wasn't like trying to be super religious or trying to be all Christian 
you know, it was more of like the fear of the Lord came upon me. And if I knew if I continued in this lifestyle that I was going to end up in, in worse places, you know, and the time came that I eventually got sober, you know, and I remember just saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep living this way. I'm so tired. You know, and many people ask me, you know, how do you stay sober? You know, what do I got to do? And I, you know, the one thing that I, I say more than anything is, are you tired? Are you tired of, you know, running back to these streets? Are you tired of looking for the same answer that you know exactly what's going to happen? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like, above all, any other thing, you know, you could have court coming after you. You can have your baby mama coming after you. You can, you know, have, you know, be on parole, you can be on probation, you can have the consequences that are so high that if I make one more mistake, my life will fall apart, and we we do it again. It's only when we are so sick and tired of feeling the way we're feeling that we take this step and we say, I can't do this anymore. Help. In that, in that moment, I think God's just waiting. He's waiting. You know, and you see it in Second Corinthians, you know, 7, 9 through 11, he's like, I sent you this pain and I'm not sorry because it made you turn from your sinful ways to your salvation. You know, each one of us has had a really, really bad day. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Jesus. Every one of us has had a really, really bad day or we wouldn't be sober. You know, we don't get here when everything's going good. We get here when everything's falling apart and we're trying to look for a new way to live. You know, and I believe that it's so important that the word you know, triggers faith. That when we start reading and we start hearing and we start going through, you know, the motions of Christianity, that the more we consume the Word, the more we're just trying to read, whether it's a page a day or a chapter a day, that something begins to stir on the inside of us that we're actually putting some work in towards trying to change and we don't have all the answers. And a lot of times we're reading the Bible for the first time, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But we're putting a little bit of effort into trying to figure this Jesus stuff out. And Jesus is faithful. You know, he shows up in those moments. You know, and and we're trying to learn how to follow him. You know, and I think that it's key for us to know that he's with us. You know, and I believe that that's what John is really trying to say is that this word of God, this word of life, you know, to others, these others, you know, us, this next generation. You know, has brought us into fellowship with the Father and with the Son, you know, through the Apostles' teachings, through the Word, you know, that we have fellowship, you know, and the Word here is in the Greek, it's koinonia, you know, which is this participation, that we have to participate in change. We have to participate in relationship. We have to participate in sharing, you know, and as we live life together, we grow better. You know, so often, you know, that we're so broken and we try to isolate and, you know, we get stuck in our head and we, we run back out the door again. You know, it's when we get into relationship with people, as much as we hate people and as much as, you know, we have trust issues galore and we don't like being around new people and there's all these insecurities, anxieties that come with new people, that if we don't get around new people and we're always isolating, most likely we're going to find ourselves running backwards again. That there's something about coming together with people that it's almost like bricks in a wall, that the mortar is the Holy Spirit, and that together we make something stronger. 
you know, and that you help me and I help you and that we grow together in this way. You know, this koinonia, this partnership, this fellowship, you know, is when people hear the message is when we're together. You know, and we hear this message about Jesus through what the apostles have taught us. And we see this, this brings this real relationship with Jesus. That so often I, I see, oh, it's just me and Jesus. And they're some of the weirdest people I've ever met. I'll be honest, some of the weirdest people I've ever met are just me and Jesus people. You know, I don't need church, it's just me and Jesus. Like, you know, Jesus is a disciple of me. And I'm like, if Jesus is a disciple of me, then how can you be so weird? You know, like, me and Jesus, he makes me do a lot of stuff I don't like. Like, your Jesus makes you do, like, fly around like a kite. But, you know, it's like, I see, like, there's something about being in relationship with people. And I'm so grateful that through the years I didn't run. Because some of us that were around in the beginning that have chosen to do their own thing, they're who knows where. And I know where a few of them are. One of them's in the ground. And one of them's in prison. You know, and it's the me and Jesus. I'm going to do it by myself. You know, and I watch over and over again how that always ends poorly. You know, and the people that stayed plugged in and connected as hard as it is sometimes because people suck. I'm just, let's get real. You know, relationships are hard. They're work. You know, and we're sandpaper people. I'm sandpaper to you. You're sandpaper to me. But together we become, you know, softer. We learn to love. We learn to care. You know, and and it's hard. You know, there's times that, you know, it's just hard being around people. And I just was like, it would be really nice right now if no one lived with me. And I could just have complete quiet. And Jesus is like, that's not a thing. And I'm like, I know. Thank you, Jesus. Here we go. You know, and there's lots of times that I'm just like, wow. Like, I just want to turn it off. And Jesus is like, no, let's turn it up. Like, thanks. Like, let's turn this buffer on to friggin' a million. You know, but what I have found is I, I sit in those moments. I press into those moments. I, I engage those moments. And something gets worked out of me that would not get worked out in any other way. You know, the, the, the people that are around us help us to get more Christ-like. We help them become more Christ-like. There's something about relationship. There's something about fellowship, participating in what God's trying to do. You know, and John's talking about, you know, God is such love. You know, and God is this life. And, and these are these main themes. You know, and one of them is that God is the light. You know, and it's revealed through Jesus that He is the light of the world. You know, and so as we we want to participate in God's life through Jesus, that we keep walking in the light. You know, and it sounds cool, right? But you know, the light is is hard sometimes. You know, having everything exposed and and being transparent isn't always easy. You know, and I remember, you know, as I was going through my healing and, and God's like exposing me and I get up here and I just, you know, throw out my stuff, you know, that God showed me like, Tom, I'm calling you to radical transparency. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Just shine the light on every little area. But through the years, as I've kept digging and kept digging and kept digging, and like there's literally less areas for the enemy to hide 
because I've exposed as much as I possibly can, and, and he's revealing new stuff that needs work. And I'm like, thanks, Jesus. That's amazing. I appreciate it. Let's keep working on stuff. I thought I was done. Nope, not done. Keep going. Because I didn't wake up today Jesus, did you? If we did not wake up today Jesus, we got work to do. And we have to have this mindset that we're to be Christ-like. We're not to be like other Christians. That we're not to be like other people we find in the church. We're not to just continue to wear our masks. We're to be Christ-like. And to be Christ-like means that there's a whole lot of dying to ourselves that's got to take place. And it's not fun. And it's hard. And it's difficult. But we need people to help us to do that. So as we are trying to be in the light or trying to be like Christ, you know, John is telling us to keep walking in the light. You know, and what does that really mean? It means keep Jesus' commandments. Oh, yay, great, that's awesome. That's hard, right? Love people as you love yourself. Love your enemies. Like, uh, can I just punch people, like, for Jesus? Lay hands on them? Is that what that means? No. Like, Jesus wants to get into our hearts and really begin to to dictate how we live and, and how we interact with other people. You know, and... We're, we're going to fail. Can we just be honest? I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail you. You're going to fail me. We're going to fail each other. Let's just put that on the table. You know, I always tell people, if you're around me long enough, I'm going to piss you off. I promise you. Like, when I first start interacting with you and you're like, oh, yay, Pastor Tom, will you help me for Jesus? And I'm like, let's just, I'm just letting you know. I am going to make you angry. Oh, no, you could never make me angry. I will literally put a million dollars on that. I promise you that I will piss you off. Well, no, you couldn't. Oh, you're a Christian. You're a pastor. And I'm like, I promise you. I'm not even going to try to do it. Like, I'm not going to purposely try to piss you off unless your name's Rick. (laughs) I'm just going to try to speak truth. When there's a lie in your head or you're trying to do something that you shouldn't be doing, or you're trying to okey-doke me, you're trying to manipulate me, that, you know, Jesus has is, is helped undo my manipulator, you know, so it's really hard to manipulate me these days. I mean, it can happen, you know, every once in a while somebody gets me, but in reality, I was a bad manipulator, so it, it's really hard for you to, to get over on me. You know, why? Because Jesus uprooted that stuff in me, and I see it clearly. You know, and another one of these fun facts for any of you to know that I literally have no self-pity for anyone. He's completely destroyed that in me. So anytime that you come at me with pity and you want me to get into that place with you, it's not going to work. And you're going to get real frustrated with me because I'm going to tell you what you need to do to get out of it. And you're like, I'm like, I'm sorry, but we're not doing that. Like, I'm not doing that with you. I'm like, still not doing it. Still not doing it. So, like, we can move this way or you can sit there doing that. But I'm not jumping in your pit with you. Because it's not going to do anything but make me miserable, too. And then you're going to get someone to co-sign your crap. And we're going to both be, and it's not going to help nobody. You know, and I do my best to speak in love today. I'm way better at it than I ever used to be, you know. But there's times that truth just comes across. It's like a sword. It pierces us. You know, and it's not comfortable sometimes. But we need people like that in our lives. 
We can't have everyone always codependent. No, I'm going to rescue you because all we do is go around in a circle and no one's getting better. You know, and we have to realize that I'm going to fail you. You're going to fail me. But when we get into the word to God together, we can grow together. We can change together. We can follow Jesus together. We can get stronger together. But if we're letting our emotions dictate what we're doing, we're just going to go around in circles and end up crashing and burning all over again. You know, and I've learned that, you know, it's so hard, but we got to get back up. There is no other choice. There literally is no other choice. We will all sin. We all get stuck. We're all going to find ourselves back in the pit, you know, but we can't stay there. And we need people that are going to come alongside of us and tell us truths and say, come on, let's do it this way. (sighs) Okay, here we go. And it's not fun. And there's a lot of pride that's got to get crushed and a lot of humility that comes out. And we're like, we I love being humbled. No, there's no part of that that's fun. You know, but we have to get back up and say, Jesus, forgive me for what I did. Help me get back into relationships. Help me to, to, to grab my brother or sister's hand and say, please help me. I can't do this. I can't do this by myself. You know, and that's when we get back into Jesus' teachings and we repent of what we need to repent of. And we keep, you know, working through it, trying to figure it out. None of us will ever all figure it out, ever. Ever will we ever have it all figured out. You know, and that's why we need pastors and leaders and elders and people that are helping us to grow, to do the works of the ministry, because we cannot do it by ourselves. So anytime that you're like, I just need Jesus, and I don't need any other people, that's the devil. I promise you that's the devil. Why? Because over and over and over again, through all the New Testament, it says one another. One another, one another, together, one another. You know, that we're a body of Christ, that we are to be together. You know, and it sucks sometimes, because people suck sometimes. But, also, people have brought great joy to my life. People have been a blessing to me. And God has used me to be a blessing to some of you in this room and to many others. Why? Because together, we we represent the kingdom of God, together that we can follow Jesus better together. You know, and it's so important that we are continuing to press in, realizing that, you know, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall back into sin. You know, sometimes we're going to be there a little bit longer than we thought we were going to be. And we need people to reach back into the darkness and say, come back into the light. You know, come back to truth. Don't allow the enemy to continue to deceive you. You know, and it's important that that we're realizing that, this covenant that we make with God, we also start making it with other people. You know, and, you know, and I think it's so easy today to just throw people away. You know, I've watched so many people just walk away. Like, they're here, I'm all about it, and they just walk away. You know, and that's part of this lifestyle and this mindset that comes with, you know, coming out of sin, coming out of addiction, you know, we're able to just poof, gone. But there's something about sticking it, sticking around. Pushing through, trusting Jesus, not running away. And it's hard. It's not easy. But as we, we come together to, with Jesus, that we see that, you know, Jesus' words at the Last Supper, He's like, love one another. Why? Because I loved you. That we're not making this stuff up as we go along. We're, we're doing it because Jesus did it. You know, and we see how Jesus hung out with prostitutes, tax collectors. You know, notorious sinners. You know, such scum, the religious would say. You know, I don't know about you, but I've been a notorious sinner. 
There was a time in my life that I was pretty scummy. You know, and yet Jesus would have came close to me. Oh, wait, Jesus did come close to me. and He pulled me out of my brokenness, just like he has so many of us. And we have to realize that each person in this room needs each other, you know, and we, we, we do better together. We, we walk better in the light together. You know, and now that God's light is shining upon us, you know, Jesus is asking us to, to realize that this, this world is still dark. You know, when it's passing away, that we are to be lights. We are to light up other people's darkness. That we should be able to walk into our, our jobs and be a light. We should be able to walk into our family as hard as it is. You know, and we're like, trying to get that wire lit and be like, come on. Some of us have some pretty dark families. You know, our neighborhoods can be dark. And we have to do the best we can, you know, to be a light. But you know what? What I've learned is that you take one candle and another candle, you put it together, that flame grows. You know, you put one log on a fire, you put two logs on a fire, that flame grows. What happens if you put 20 logs on that fire? That thing begins to grow. How much more could this ministry or this church or each and every one of our lives as we get closer together burn brighter for Jesus? Because I can only burn so bright by myself. But we start coming in contact more and more and that flame gets brighter and hotter. You know, and we have to realize that we have to do that in this time of, you know, in this day and age and, and the darkness and the and the perversion and the, and the sin that's propagated every day in our, in our culture, that there is no way to, to avoid it. There is literally no way to avoid it. You know, and we have to realize that we need each other to help us to grow, to help us to burn brighter, to help us to, to chase after, you know, the Lord together. You know, and, <clears throat> you know, he's also declaring that God's children have this victory. We have victory over sin and death. You know, and it's not anything that we did. It's what Jesus did for us. You know, that we are walking in victory right now. That sin has been paid for in each and every one of our lives. What the hard part is, is convincing ourselves to let go of the shame. The blood of Jesus is bought and paid for every single one of our sins if we've confessed it. But First John 1, nine says he's faithful and just to remove all unrighteousness. If we confess our sin, right? So if I confess my sin, that unrighteousness has been lifted off of me spiritually. Mentally, I have to get into scripture and begin to believe scripture about myself over what my emotions feel. Because my emotions tell me I'm still worthless. My childhood tells me I'm still, you know, unlovable and worthless and, and rejectable and, but yet the, the word of God tells me that I can walk in victory because Jesus already gave me victory. And it's hard because my emotions want it to be stronger than the truth. And I have to say, no, this is what the truth is. A million times. It's not once. It's a million times. I have to bring my thoughts captive back to the Word of God, and this is what the Word says. This is what the Word says. This is what Jesus said. This is what the Word says. This is what Jesus said. Do my emotions match the fruit of the Spirit? No. Is it God? No. Arrest the thought. Bring it back to the obedience of Christ. Bring it back to the Word of God. A million times a day. How many times it takes? It doesn't matter. A million times. Well, today was good. I only did it like 10,000 times. Sweet. Victory. 
I'm growing. But the more I let my emotions and my thought race, where do I end up? Never anywhere positive. I never end up like popping out the other side. I'm like, wow, I grew with Jesus today. No, I end up being depressed and anxious and thinking about sinning and running and I can't do this anymore and I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. Like, My mind takes me to all sorts of crazy places. So I have to allow the Word of God to be my anchor for my soul, who is Christ, and use that Word of God to guide me into freedom. Because this world wants to drag me down. You know, Paul, or John, sorry, John's referring to pride and sexual corruption. You know, and most likely this was had to do with the people that were leaving or, or corrupting the church and, and, and the conflicts that were going on in, you know, these, you know, people group that's attacking the church or leaving the church because there's corruption in them and they're trying to corrupt the other people. You know, how many people around us, you know, when we start to follow Jesus, try to corrupt us? It's going to happen. Oh, you're working on purity? I got a girlfriend for you. Right? Oh, you're going to try to be sober? Hey, do you want to get together and have a couple of drinks? Like, I just told you I was trying to be sober. Well, you could drink, just don't use drugs. Like, um, for me, that's the same thing. You know, and every time that we try to get victory in some area, all of a sudden the enemy comes along and says, hey, here, have some. You know, you know and, and John is warning the people in the church so that they recognize what the enemy is trying to do. Because, you know, as the enemy is trying to pull people out of the church, you know, pull people out of the community, you know, because then the second we step outside, right, the first thought is I'm no good anymore. Well, I might so lessen, I don't want to feel no good anymore, so I'll just deny Jesus. I don't believe anymore. It's like hand in hand. And I see it over and over and over again. As I get trapped in a sin pattern, and I don't really want to change it. So now I'm just like, eh, Jesus isn't real. Why? Because then I don't have to acknowledge the fact that I'm in sin and I can just keep doing what I'm doing. You know, and that's what they were doing. Well, Jesus isn't really the Messiah. He's not the Son of God. So I can continue to live in a moral lifestyle and, and be corrupted because Jesus isn't really Jesus. You know, and, and how many times do we run into Christians that have a false Jesus? Because they're living in sin and they don't want to deal with it. You know, and it's important that we, we allow scripture to dictate who Jesus is to us. You know, and we have to really understand that the world is going to attack, you know, the sovereignty of God. He's going to attack, or the world's going to attack Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And we have to realize that, you know, what John is calling these people is Antichrist. You know, that they have an Antichrist spirit. You know, are they the Antichrist? No. But it's that same try to anti-Jesus, whatever. And, you know, they can't just be content that you're trying to change or you're trying to get some Jesus. They try to suck you into these battles and these arguments, you know, and they try to nitpick at you. You know, and it's important that we realize what the Bible calls them is deceivers. I'm sorry, like this is tough language, but you're deceived and you're trying to be a deceiver and get me to be deceived. You know, and I've learned that I don't have to continue in an argument. It takes two to argue and I can so easily just say, all right, you know, you believe what you believe. 
You know, I don't have to come to the fight. And so often I see Christians just come to the fight. Why? Why are they fighting things that there's no way you're going to argue somebody into deep revelation of who Jesus is? No, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you come awake. You know, but why do we argue? Because on some side, in my opinion, is I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm not really sure what I believe. And for me, in my opinion, that's hooked to how much time I spend in my Word. So anytime that you come at me with some argument that the world is coming at me, and I rise up, it's because I'm afraid. And you're going to convince me. You know, and I don't think that today that people can come at us and, and, and take someone that's really believing in Jesus and just say, you know what, you're right. This Jesus stuff is, is ridiculous. No, it's, it's, a, it's a war. It's a grind. And it's slow. You know, and bad thing after bad thing happens. And then I get an offense. And then, you know, I have an excuse why I'm not at church. And I have an excuse why I don't have to talk to that person. And I have this unforgiveness. And I have an excuse why I shouldn't talk to that person. And lo and behold, what happens is the enemy comes in and steals our hope. And then we become hopeless. And then we doubt God. And at that point, then we can take that next step and say, I'm not even really sure it's real. It's not quick. It's slow descent. Because he, he wears on us. Because if I was to come at any one of you and say, Jesus isn't real, you'd be like, wait, what? You just talked about Jesus being real. No. But if we get unplugged and we let life be life and we hang out with a deceiver, anybody that's trying to nitpick me away from Jesus, and all of a sudden life circumstances happen, all of a sudden i got a financial issue, all of a sudden i got a health issue, and all of a sudden this happens and that happens, and we're like, where is this good God? And the enemy is like, see? See? We're still not quite hearing it yet, but we're going in that direction. And next thing you know, we like, I can't do this anymore. You know, and then we get hopeless, and then depression starts to sink in. You know, and it's very important that we're paying attention to who we're allowing speaking into our lives, especially ourselves, because we can be the worst one. You know, we can be the worst one, you know, quietly just killing ourselves all day long in our head. And that's why it's so important that we are letting light in, letting people in, letting them, hey, I'm not doing good. Just send a text. You pray for me, you know, and just stay connected. Even if you're not dumping it all out, it's okay. And just say, hey, pray for me. I'm having a bad day. All of a sudden, things begin to shift, don't they? Don't they shift? The second you start asking for some sort of help, they don't, nothing happened, nothing changed technically, except you were transparent, you let light into the darkness, you exposed what's going on in your head, all of a sudden peace begins to come. Because the enemy gets exposed and, and darkness can't hide in the light. You know, that first John is talking about love. You know, that God is love. And that he loves his children. You know, and that, that we should avoid hatred. Like Cain, because he hated, you know, his brother, and it led to murder. You know, most of us in here haven't murdered anybody, I don't think. But everybody in here has murdered somebody in their head at some point in their life. Some of us have murdered quite a few people in our heads. You know, and that's a sick place, and I remember being there. And I remember any time I would get an offense, any time I would be angry, like they need to die. You know, and I remember just going to some really dark places in my mind 
because that bitterness, that offense, that hatred, that that jealousy, whatever it was, you know, that resentment kept leading me down a very dark path. You know, and I think that any given second in life circumstances, I literally could have been a murderer. You know, and one of the per- people that I've almost murdered the most was myself. You know, I wanted the pain to stop so bad that, I, you know, taking my own life was an option. You know, and it's not that I wanted to die. It's just that I needed the pain to stop and I didn't find hope. You know, and I'm so grateful that Jesus came into my darkness and started lighting that stuff up. Because, you know, once upon a time in a blackout, I wrote on a piece of paper, just kill yourself, probably a hundred times. And I woke up the next day and I, I read that and I was freaked out. Because as much as I thought about suicide, in that moment, I almost did it. You know, and I honestly, I know that a lot of us struggle with that stuff. But I don't think that we want to die. I think that we just want the pain to go away and we don't know how to do it. You know, and it's important that we realize that the love of God is really the solution. And as much as we get around somebody that's joyful, we want to choke them. They have a light that they're trying to light up our darkness. You know, and it's hard sometimes when you're depressed and you're around somebody that's happy. I get it. You know, and sometimes you got to find someone that's like somewhere in between. Like, they're not super joyful because I'm going to hurt you. Like, you're next on the list to the murdering. But I think that it's important that we get some around somebody that isn't woe is me and, you know, all depressed too because, you know, misery loves company. You know, and we have to say, you know what, i got to get myself around somebody that isn't the same as me. You know, and we got to let people love on us even when we don't feel love worthy. You know, and I hear it all the time in recovery is that we're going to love on you until you learn to love yourself. You know, and I hear it in the church as well that we're to love people. And it's hard. We've been wounded. We've been hurt. You know, but it's important that we, we push through, you know, the lies of the enemy, the, the deception, deceivers, you know, anybody that's trying to deny Jesus. If we're struggling with Jesus, that's not who we should be hanging out with. You know, we should be getting around somebody that's so on fire for this stuff. It's annoying. But, yeah, it's like, I know if I keep doing it my way, I'm going to end up in places I don't want to be. So I need to get myself around somebody that's sold out for this and as non-weird as possible, you know, and and realize that I need to partner with this person. I need to, to figure out why they love this Jesus guy so much. Why are they so on fire for this? Because I just don't get it. You know, and I remember being around Pastor Rick and watching him go through things, you know, and and just being in awe how he carried himself and be like, he really believes this stuff. You know, he really does. Like, it's not even like a joke. Like, he really believes that this Jesus guy is real and he's like alive and stuff. You know, and watching him go through things helped like stir stuff like, this is real. You know, there's something about this Jesus guy that, that he really believes it. You know, and the more I talked to him and the more I'd have conversations and the more he helped me to see all the deception that was in my mind, I started taking steps. And before I knew it, I ran into Jesus and I'm like, whoa, this is really real. You know, and I had to push through all the fears and I had to learn to trust them. You know, that we need people around us that are going to speak on God's behalf. You know, that there's times that it's hard to get into our Bible. It's hard to even pray. 
But if I get myself around certain people, I know that they're going to talk about Jesus as annoying as it might be. But I know that if I stay stuck where I am, that I'm going to be miserable and I'm going to end up maybe doing something I don't want to do. So I have to take this step. I have to put myself in the proximity of people that are trying to be on fire for God. And maybe I catch on fire too. You know, and it's important that we realize that that we have to come to the conclusion of what the cross represents. Each one of us has to come to the you know realization that is the cross a real event? Or do we just think this is just another fairy tale? Because the cross means that a guy died and they put him in the ground. And then he came back out of the ground. And that's the foundation of what we believe. And if you're struggling with the cross, the burial and the resurrection, you're going to have a real hard time with thinking that Jesus is divine and Jesus is God. But if you take the time and study it and say, do I really believe this? It changes everything. See, that's why it's so important, I think, that as a new believer or someone that's trying to get back into their faith, stay specifically in the New Testament. Because we don't need all the, the great teachings of the Old Testament at that time. I need to figure out who Jesus is. You know, I need to, to, to contemplate and, and wrestle with, do I believe that the cross was a real event? Because if I can say that the cross was a real event, that Jesus really died, and he came back to life, there's nothing in the Bible that I would really wrestle with. Now, I may get convicted and wrestle with it, but Adam and Eve, if God can resurrect somebody, he can do that too, right? Noah's Ark, if somebody could come back to life, Noah's Ark's possible. Moses split in the Red Sea. Jesus came back to life. That's possible. Like, it instantly goes, like, if I can believe that a human being that is actually dead for three days, not like an accident, like dead and stinking, came back to life, how can I really say that any other miracle that I come across in the Bible can't possibly happen? Because it's scientifically impossible to come back to life. God had to do something. And if I can wrap my mind around that and then say, yes, I believe in the resurrection of Christ, then everything else begins to shift. Because then the enemy loses. Because that's really the battle that's going on. And the enemy always takes us to Genesis. Well, I'm going to read my Bible from the beginning. And everyone says, don't do it that way. No, I'm going to, I, got, I got to do it that way. Like, don't do it that way. No, I got to read it from the beginning. I got to, you know, it's like, no, don't do it that way. They start in Genesis. By the time they get, like, even halfway through Genesis, they're like, ah, this is dumb. However, you read the Gospel of John, and by the time you get to the end of John, something's happening. Something's happening. You know why? Because we start to learn about Jesus. We start to learn about the love of God. You know, we learn about the self-giving love that compels us. You know, as Jesus followers, to learn to love one another is because we've watched Jesus model it. Not because we're trying to make up some philosophy. We literally watch Jesus live a, a way that's nearly impossible to live. And the only way that he could do that is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we ask God to fill us. And he gives us this ability 
to serve and love one another when we never could have ever done that. That God meets us in this place. You know, and we learn to love Him. We learn to love ourselves. And then we actually learn to love other people. It's like, that's a miracle too. You know, and that love destroys fear. That perfect love casts out all fear. You know, that we learn to walk in victory because He knows that what we really need is this relationship with Jesus. That it's not going through the motions of Christianity. It's a relationship with Jesus. And as we build a relationship with Jesus, the scales come from our eyes, the scales come from our ears, our heart becomes alive, and we begin to see completely different, hear completely different, feel completely different. That we have victory. That, you know, that it's important that we realize that God loves us. You know, and it's a crazy love. You know, Romans says that how deep, how far, how wide is his love for us, that we can't even really wrap our minds around it. You know, and that I love what Graham Cook says, is that he loves you, that he loves you, that he loves you. That if you were to walk out of here tonight and continue to live in whatever way that you were living before you got here, that, you know, you know isn't the right way, that he doesn't love you any less. And even when you start to behave yourself and, and, and get all you know these religious things in place, he does not love you anymore. He loves you absolutely, completely right now. And it's that love that draws us in. Is that when I make mistakes, he loves me. And when I when I do great things, he loves me. You know, that his love for me is so pure and so true. That when I, I look at what Jesus did for me and when I, I see what Jesus did for you, that if I was the only person on the planet, Jesus would have done that so that I could have a relationship with the Father. If you were the only person left on the planet, that Jesus would have done that for you so that you could have a relationship with the Father. Because he knew that it was worth it for us to have a relationship, communion with the Father in heaven. And it's so important that when we fail in our deepest flaws, no matter how much we've sinned, no matter how much we continue to sin, that he loves us so much. And this becomes the very foundation to our faith. It's because he loves us so much that it begins to turn everything around and bring us to life. You know, and that love begins to shape our entire lives. You know, and that we begin to trust him more and more. That it, it helps us to grow, helps us to change. That we see how he wants to get a hold of each and every one of us. And that love begins to set us on fire so that we know Jesus deeper and deeper and deeper as we grow with him. Would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing in each and every one of our lives. Lord, I pray that if anyone's struggling with you tonight, Lord, that you would come into that place, help them to see how real you are. I pray that they would have an encounter with your love. That you would speak to them in a way that they know, that they would know that they would know that it's you speaking to them. Lord, I pray that you would begin to to break off the hardness of their heart. That you would begin to renew their minds. That you would give them the conviction to, to repent of whatever it is and that that would confess that to someone, Lord, and you would be faithful to remove all unrighteousness. 
Lord, and your perfect love would come and, and engage us 